Romans chapter number 5. And I do want to thank you uh, tonight for uh, being uh, uh, willing and compliant uh, to work with us as we try to refrain from real close fellowship and mingling right now. Uh, I know it's difficult, particularly for us Baptists, not to mingle and fellowship a little bit, uh, but I appreciate you being willing to do that for us, and uh, not only I believe it's helpful right now, uh, but it's also out of respect for those who might think differently about the virus than, than you do, and uh, I assure you there are thousands of opinions on the virus, uh, but we need to make sure that we not only live by uh, the Word of God, but we also are sensitive to how other folks perceive it, and I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you what's real and what's not real, uh, but I also want to make sure that I don't offend, and so we're trying to do that to make sure that we do not encroach upon others' uh, space, and uh, Lord willing, we'll get back to normal here soon, and if not, we'll get back to normal when we get to heaven, and as far as I know, there's no socially distancing in heaven, and so we won't have to do that anymore, but I do appreciate you doing that with us for now, and uh, I, we were on vacation here just a few days ago, and uh, in the lines for the rides we were getting on, they have uh, the stuff on the ground. Around, marking every six feet, where when you're standing in line for the ride, you can't get closer than six feet. And uh, most of the time, I adhered to it. Uh, every once in a while, I would step over the line, and my wife would call me a rebel. She says, you just have to step over the line, don't you? You just can't keep that six-foot distance that was there. But I tried most of the time out of respect for those that were around me. Well, there was this one kid. We were on Thunder Mountain Railroad, and uh, this one kid, uh, he just wouldn't, well, he wasn't a kid. He was probably 16, 17 years old. He didn't care if the lines were there or not. Uh, and he wanted to be my buddy, evidently. He liked my aftershave or something because <clears throat> he kept wanting to get really close to me. And I'll be honest with you, the closer he got to me, the more it bothered me that he wasn't respecting my space. And I think we all just did that a little bit. Uh, it would uh, show folks that we're taking this serious and that we respect them as well. And so let's try to do the best we can on that. Whether your personal feelings or not, uh, that this is real or conspiracy or the end of the world, uh, let's try to respect everybody else on that, okay? So I do appreciate you doing that and bear with us <clears throat> as we continue to try to make it a little bit more comfortable. Romans chapter number five, let's look down to verse number one, remain seated if you don't mind. I'm going to jump right into it tonight. Uh, <clears throat> I believe uh, we can get through this by around eight o'clock <clears throat> if we'll pay close attention and go ahead and get into it. Verse number one, Romans chapter number five, the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That ought to make you smile right there. No, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We could preach there all night long, but we're not. We're just setting up the message if we could. Look over into verse number 12. We know this one well from the Romans road. The Bible says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. We see what happened there with Adam. We know the door that was open and then the death sentence that passed upon all of us because of that. Uh, several versions of that verse are reiterated down through about verse number 17. So let's pick up if we could in verse number 19. The Bible says, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now our text tonight is verse 20. The Bible says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more 
abound. Let's ask God to bless his word tonight. Lord, I do thank you for your word. And Lord, we trust in, Lord, its power tonight. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd have your will and way. And Lord, not just the preaching, but the receiving of the message. Help us leave here different tonight because we allowed your word to do what you sent it to do. And I pray if there's one that's lost tonight, not sure that they're saved, Holy Spirit, I pray you make that clear. And Lord, during the invitation time, I pray they'd seek out someone who can show them how they can have certainty about their eternity. And I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we've probably all heard the adage before that desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think we've probably all been in situations before that we might call uh, desperate times. And I was sitting back in the office this afternoon trying to think of times in my life that I would consider desperate times. Uh, I remember probably one of the most desperate times I had was right after the birth of our daughter. And we sat up there at uh, Merritt Wesley, and I had this newborn baby that I had very little experience in handling. And uh, I remember my wife gave birth on a Wednesday, and uh, uh, the doctors and nurses just left the room after a while, and here's that little baby staying in our room. And I remember my wife touting how much of a special thing that was that the baby got to stay in our room. But I'll be honest with you, about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, I did not see how special that was, that the baby got to stay in the room with us. And I remember looking at my wife, and she's laying there just giving birth, and the baby's crying, and she rolls over at me and had the audacity to ask me to do something about it, you know? I'm like, why don't you take care of it, all right? You had her. You should take care of her. But no, as a good husband, I got up, and I'm trying to get this baby to quiet down, and I called the nurse on the button. Boy, did I wear out that button that night. I said, hey, why this thing won't stop crying, uh, you know? And she said, have you checked the diaper? And I says, uh, no, and that was a purpose. I did not check it on purpose, and uh, lo and behold, I hate to say this, but my daughter had a dirty diaper, and uh, you know that first one's pretty rough, all right? I'm not going to get into great details, but that first one's pretty rough. For those of you who haven't had children, you have something to look forward to, and uh, let me tell you, that was a desperate situation. I was sitting there, a new dad, never done this before, and uh, I don't know, I was kind of like my dad, looking for a water hose or something, trying to figure out how to take care of that situation that we were in, and uh, later on that night, she decided she wanted to cry some more. I can't remember what your problem was, but she just kept crying and crying the whole night through, and I remember, I don't know, it was about 6 a.m., as soon as I saw that sun coming up over the treetops there at the hospital, I got on the phone and called my mother-in-law, and I said, I got to have some sleep. I haven't slept. I'm learning how to change diapers. I don't know. Look, I mean, you know, those things are not easy to get on. I don't know if I had it taped up right. They're falling off. Like, could you get this thing back on? And I was in dire straits. I was in a desperate situation, and I needed help. So I called my mother-in-law in. Another time, I remember I was preaching a revival out uh, on I-20 uh, in Hickory, out Hickory, Mississippi, and my taillight went out. And I remember that I got pulled over, and the policeman told me, you better get this taillight fixed, or we're going to give you a ticket next time. And I didn't want to get a ticket, so I pulled into Walmart, and I bought me this little flashlight, and I took the cover off of my taillight, and I crammed that flashlight in there, and I screwed the cover back on with the light running. And so I was desperate, all right? I wouldn't normally do that. But I was in a desperate situation that called for desperate measures. And look, Mississippi boys can take care of it, amen? I made myself a taillight. By the way, I did not get pulled over, and I didn't get a ticket all the way home because desperate times call for desperate measures. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's good when we're made to be desperate because we do things that maybe we wouldn't normally do. But here's the premise behind that statement. Desperate times for desperate measures basically means that we allow the times to determine our temperament. 
Desperate times call for desperate measures means we're allowing the times that we're living in to determine the temperament that we have. And if you're not careful, desperate times will make you do things that you would not normally do. Uh, Miss Stacy over here and Brother Nate have teamed up and tag-teaming me, trying to get me to go skydiving. I'm praying about it, and I'm trying to decide if the Lord's going to give me discernment on that idea to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, and I was thinking about it the other day, trying to justify it, and I don't have a problem flying. I love flying, but my problem would be jumping, okay? I don't mind flying. I don't mind looking out the window, but jumping out of a perfectly good airplane is something that, yeah, I see her. Uh, no, no, I'm not going up with those two uh, because I would jump whether I wanted to or not, but I was reminded of the story of an instructor, a skydiving instructor. And the guy says, look, I don't mind going up kind of like me, but I'm going to have trouble jumping out of this plane. What made you jump out of the plane? What helped you jump out of the plane the first time? Uh, He says, three engines on fire at 20,000 feet. Desperate times called for desperate measures, and that skydiving instructor uh, found his motivation in the fact that that plane was going down. He did something that he wouldn't normally do, and here's what I want to help, help us understand a little bit tonight. Oftentimes, we go through desperate seasons of life, and I believe we're going through one of those right now. I believe uh, in our country we're going through one of those. I believe our world is going through one of those right now. These desperate seasons where we're having great difficulty and calamity and hopelessness. And if you're not careful, you're going to allow the desperateness of our times to create a desperateness in your temperament. Rather than living a a stabilized and settled Christian life, you'll begin living a life that is desperate and reckless and doesn't reflect one who's trusting in a sovereign God that is still on the throne. So tonight, just because the times are desperate, here's what I want us to understand. Just because the times that we're living in are desperate, it doesn't mean that we have to be. And I see today that so many people, their lives are in a state of desperate hopelessness. They're in a time of calamity, uh, and they're living spiritually recklessly. Why? Because they're living in a desperate time, and they're allowing the desperate time to give them a desperate temperament. I want you to know tonight, just because the world is living in panic doesn't mean we cannot live in prudence. I believe the child of God has every reason right now to be prudent in the way we live and not necessarily live in the panic. I believe as a child of God tonight, just because the world embraces fear doesn't mean we cannot be encouraged by our faith. Why? Because the God that we serve, he is still on the throne. We mentioned that Sunday. So maybe for the lost, desperate times do call for desperate measures. But here's what I want to hit on for a few minutes tonight. I believe for the saved, desperate times call for definite measures. Desperate times should call for definite measures. You see, what do you mean by that? Well, desperate times is when everything is fluid. Everything is changing. There's nothing staying the same, and nothing is sure anymore. But for the child of God, we have something that's steady, and we have something that's sure. And so even though we're living in desperate times, we can be living definitely or securely. Why? Because of who our God is. So tonight, for a few minutes, I want to hit on this subject of desperate times and definite measures. And I want to give you a reason tonight. In spite of the fact that we're living in desperate times, we can live definitely because of the grace of God. So look down at Romans chapter 5. I want you to see a desperate situation. If you look at Romans 5, we're not going to take the time to read all of this tonight, but you'll see our lost condition and the time that we were separated from God. Look at verse number 6, and let's see how it's described. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength... 
Notice, without Christ, we were without strength. Look down to verse number 8. The Bible says, during this time, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. So we see we were without strength. We were sinners. Verse number 10, watch what it calls us. For if when we were enemies, we were enemies of God during this time. Now, you want to describe a desperate situation. It's a time that you're without strength that you are a sinner and you are an enemy of God. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. What does that mean? It means during this time that we were separated from God, we were condemned. I would definitely call that a desperate situation. And yet when we look down at verse number 20, we see it all summed up in two words. Notice the Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but watch closely. But where sin abounded, sin abounded. The first thing I want you to see tonight, we're looking at desperate times, but definite measures. But the first thing we need to understand tonight is the source of desperation. Where does desperation come from? Why were we in such a desperate situation in Romans chapter 5 when we were without strength, we were sinners, we were enemies of God, we were condemned? Why were we in such a desperate situation in Romans chapter number 5? It's because verse number 20 hits the nail on the head, because sin abounded. Can I tell you why we're in such a desperate situation in America today? It's the very same reason we were in this desperate situation in Romans chapter 5. It's because sin abounded. Look, folks, if we're not careful, we're going to start picking off the symptoms of the problem without getting to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem in America tonight is not economic, it's not philosophical, and it's not political. It's because we have a problem with sin. Sin abounds, okay? Sin will always create a desperate situation. Whether it's in your life, your home, your church, or in the country, anytime you find people in a desperate situation, it's because sin has abounded. Now understand this, the word abound, I'll give you the definition of it. It comes from a Latin word, abunda. It means from a wave. From the Bible is showing us that sin abounded. It means sin was a wave. You ever seen a tsunami? You ever watch those videos of those tsunamis? This afternoon I watched a video of the uh, tsunami that hit Indonesia in 2004. Where 225,000 people lost their life. And you had this massive wave. People were videoing it from their hotel rooms. And they're watching this wave come from way, way, way out to sea and slowly makes its way toward the shore. And as that wave roared on shore, it overwhelmed everything that was in its path. I mean, buildings, it did not matter. Cars, boats, people's homes, it did not matter. It just came in in an overwhelming flood. This is what the Bible is describing sin as. Where sin abounded, sin was an overflowing, an overspreading flood. By the way, that's what sin does every time. Sin cannot be contained. We think we can, don't we? How many times have I taken up sin, whatever my personal private sin is, whatever your personal private sin is, and we take it up and we think that we can contain it, that we can establish boundaries where I'm going to keep my pet sin in this little pet sin cat carrier, But we cannot. Can I tell you why? Because verse number 20 tells you something every one of us tonight needs to understand about sin. Can I tell you what it is? Sin abounds. Sin abounds. Sin overwhelms. It's a tidal wave. Can you imagine as that tidal wave, that tsunami, washed up on shore in 2004 in Thailand? 
Can you imagine you standing there with your hands up trying to stop it? Uh, You'd been swept away. You'd have been caught up in the way. There's no way you could have survived that. Listen, that is just as futile as you trying to think that you can hold back an abounding sin. And when sin abounds, you know what it creates? Desperation. I know, listen, I know so many times in my life, times I have have drifted away from God, and you feel like you're drowning, don't you? You feel like you can't breathe. You feel like you're about to go under. As a matter of fact, turn with me to Psalms chapter number 38. I'll show you this in print. Psalms 38. Let's look at David tonight. And watch what the Bible says. Psalms 38. Let's pick up in verse number 1. What are we looking at? We're looking at the source of desperation. Where does desperation come from? Desperation comes from sin that abounds. David says this in Psalms 38.1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my what? Sin. Someone that's stuck with arrows, being pressed by God. There's no soundness in their flesh. There's no rest in their bones. They sound desperate, don't they? Why? Because of sin. Look at verse number five. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. My loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee. My groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth. My strength faileth. As the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. Do you know what you hear in Psalms 38? You're hearing someone that's desperate. Do you know why they're desperate? Look at verse 4. I skipped it on purpose. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. David finds himself in a desperate situation. What's the source of his desperation? He said it. He says, my sin and my iniquities, they're over my head. David thought, I'm the king, the great giant slayer. Surely I can hold back sin. And David finds himself about to drown. And we find him desperate. Why? Because of sin. Because sin abounds. There's two things I could get you to remember tonight. The two words are the fact that sin abounds. You know why Jesus was so, was so serious about before you bring your gift to the altar and worship and service to God, if there's something between you and a brother, go get it right. He said, stop what you're doing. Leave it there and go be reconciled with thy brother. Why was he so serious about that? Because sin abounds. You can't hold it back. Get rid of it. Why does the Bible tell us not to enter in the path of the wicked, to avoid it, to pass not by it? Why? Because sin abounds. There's not one of us tonight who can hold back the tsunami of sin that comes. And I assure you, the day that you think you can, you're going to find yourself as David, overwhelmed. And you'll find yourself desperate. All because you didn't realize the truth of God's word when God says, sin abounds. I want to tell you something about tsunamis, those waves that overwhelm you. You know, usually they start below the surface and make their way up. An earthquake will happen offshore somewhere far and distant. And it slowly begins to make its way toward Indonesia. And it slowly begins to build. And how often is that the case with us? 
Below the surface, we hide some small pet sin and we think we can contain it. We think we can hold it back and we think that we can manage that sin. But the Bible, listen, is always going to be true. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And he says sin is going to abound. Can I tell you, sin's going to abound. And the source of so much desperation in our country tonight is because sin is abounding. Sin is abounding. Sin is this tidal wave flowing over without any boundaries. Look at verse 21, and you'll see another word that shows you just how powerful and abounding sin is. The Bible says in verse 21, that as sin hath what? Reigned. Reigned. You ever think David thought that the sin that he thought he had control over would later have control over him? It reigned. That's what sin does. It abounds and it reigns. Genesis chapter 11, we won't turn there tonight. You remember the Tower of Babel? God looked down and these people are going to build this tower to heaven. Oh, they are uplifted in their pride. And what does God say when he looks down there? He says this, nothing shall be restrained that they've imagined to do. Do you know what God saw in those people and why God stepped in and confounded the languages? Because they had no boundaries. I assure you something tonight. You get to a place where you have no boundaries. I assure you God's going to step in. And God's going to confound things sooner or later. Why? Because God loves you enough that he doesn't want you to get to the place of desperation. And you get to the place of desperation. Why? Because sin abounds. Think about the prodigal son tonight. We all know him well. We know his story. and We pick on him a lot. But I want you to think about what he was willing to do. He was willing to eat the husk of the corn that those old pigs were going to eat. It's nasty. Can you imagine? And he would, the Bible says he would have fain filled himself. That's what I call desperation. How did he get there? We got there because sin abounds. Sin abounds. Now, folks, I want to give you an assurance tonight based on the word of God that so many are going to realize way too late that they couldn't handle what they thought they could handle. But they're only going to realize that when they get to that desperation where sin is abounding over them. I read something really interesting a few weeks ago, and I pulled up a picture I want to show you tonight. Back in 1960, uh, the size of the American dinner plate was very, very small. You see it there on the top left-hand corner. It was about eight and a half inches. Uh, it would hold about 800 calories. In the 1980s, the American dinner plate was about 10 inches, would hold about 1,000 calories. In the 2000s, the American dinner plate grew on average to be 11 inches and would hold 1,600 calories. And here we are after 2009, our dinner plates are 12 inches and they hold about 1,900 calories. And the obesity rate in America has gone from 14% in 1960 to over 40% in 2020. Why? Because we had no boundaries. You know, we were skinny and we were healthier when we had a smaller boundary. But we just kept expanding the boundary, expanding the boundary. It got bigger and bigger. And the more we have no boundaries, the worse off we are. And I assure you, it's the same way spiritually tonight. If we don't have those boundaries that are in place, what's going to happen? Sin's going to abound. And you're going to find yourself in verse number 20 at the place where you are desperate. And too many tonight get washed away in the flood. Why? Because they didn't have those bounds. I'm going to show you how to have those in just a moment. So number one, notice the source of desperation. It's when sin abounds. But watch closely. How did we know? 
How do we know? How do we know that sin abounded? How do we know that this is the root of the problem? Well, it's the beginning of verse number 20. Watch what the Bible says that God did. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. How do we know tonight? How do we know that we're living according to the word of God? How do we know what is out of bounds? Well, the Bible says the law entered that the offense might abound. Here's what it's giving us. Number two, a sure diagnosis. Listen, if you're going to live a definite life where you're living solidly upon the rock, you're going to have to have a definite standard. And notice the Bible says God gave us his law. And his law was that moral measuring stick that showed us where we stand. Now, this is interesting. When you read it, it sounds like the law entered to expand sin. What does it say? The law entered that the the offense might abound. But here's what the law did. The law just showed us exactly where we were. It's like a flashlight. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 13, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. The light just shows you the problem. It doesn't create the problem. It just shows you the problem. It's much like a measuring tape. You want to know how long something is or how short something is? You take a measuring tape and you put that standard up to it and it gives you a definite answer. Now, folks, if we are going to live a definite life, we need a definite answer. And notice verse 20. The Bible says the reason we knew that sin abounded was we had the standard of God. He gave us what? He gave us his law. I remember as a kid, I used to love to watch the movie Mary Poppins. And I was honest with you, I'd probably say I still like to watch it today. I mean, Miley watched it. It's one of our favorite characters. I've met her personally, and I consider us friends. And you remember when Mary Poppins was meeting the children, she pulls out a measuring tape. Do you remember that? At least first she measures the little boy, and he measured up, and it said, extremely stubborn and suspicious. And then she measured the little girl, and it says, rather inclined to giggle, doesn't put things away. And then when she measured herself, what did it say? Practically perfect in every way. You see, she had a measuring stick that told them exactly who they were and what they did. Well, I hate to tell you this. Mary Poppins is not real. Uh, Her measuring stick is not. I would hate to see what I would look like if I measured up to it. But God does have a measure for morality. God does have a standard by which he's called us to live. And the only way that we can know how we should live definitely instead of desperately is living according to the standard of the word of God. Remember in Amos chapter number 7, the Bible says that the Lord says, I will set a plumb line on Israel. What is a plumb line? It's a straight standard. We don't use those much anymore. When we were building Baptist City up here a few weeks ago, or almost a month ago, um, my dad pulled out his level. Do you know what a level is? A level is a standard of straight. Now, we could probably have eyeballed it, but it wasn't going to be just right. We had to have a standard of what was straight. I mean, can you imagine if it wasn't straight and it fell over on the sheriff? You know, ding dong, the sheriff's dead. You know, you see my feet sticking out of Baptist City, and that would have not have been good for all of the kids. Some of you may have been excited, but it would have been good for the kids at all. So we had to get it right. And the only way we're knowing we're going to get it right is by having a definite standard. Now, folks, how do we know what the definite standard is by which we as the people of God can live his life, a life that's pleasing unto him? Well, he gave it to us. Notice what verse 20 says. Moreover, the law entered. God let us know what the standard was, and we measure up to that standard to find out where we stand with God. By the way, he's the only one that matters. That's what the Bible tells us, not to measure ourselves or compare ourselves by ourselves. It's unwise. Why? Why? 
Because if you wanted to find who was a good Christian, you'd go find the sorriest person you could find to stand beside. And you would say, well, you look pretty good. You know, if I want to decide whether or not I think I'm a good-looking man, I'm going to go find the ugliest one of you in the bunch to stand beside. When I start doubting how good I look because my hair's falling out, my ears seem to be getting bigger and all of that, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm feeling down and out. I'm going to go find one of you ugly guys to stand beside. Or the Dombeck or somebody might just go stand beside you. I don't know. I'm going to come stand beside you and take a picture. Why? It makes me feel better about myself. But oh, lo and behold, as a child of God, there's a standard by which I walk up beside like a door casing and measure myself on, and that's the standard of God. Can I tell you tonight, God set the standard for morality, and that's all that matters what you measure up to. Listen, the only way that you can live a definite life and know how to live definitely on that rock where you're not moved is by living by the standard of the Word of God. You say, well, I don't like that. Can I tell you some truth? You're going to measure up sooner or later. It's better that you measure up to it now than measure up to it later when you don't have anything you can do about it. Oh, how often I fall short. Oh, how often I measure up to God's Word and find out I'm not growing as fast as I should be growing. I remember we used to go to the doctor when she was a baby, and um, they would weigh her, and they would measure her, and I was just kind of hoping that she was gaining weight and growing, or else they was going to turn me into social services. You know, I was like, oh, she's gained some weight. Yes, that first week she lost weight, and I'm thinking, yep, they're going to lock us up, because she lost a little bit of weight. They said that was supposed to happen, and they had this little slope that they would mark her at, and they would measure her by where she should be. You see, that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God shows us where we should measure up. And the only way that we can live a definite life is to live by a definite standard. And that standard is what God gave us. And if we'll just from time to time walk up to the standard, mark on the door casing of God's word, find out where we're growing, we'll know exactly where we stand. So tonight we're living in desperate times, but we don't have to be desperate in our manner. Why? Because God gives us a sure diagnosis. The source of desperation is sin abounding. But God gives us a sure diagnosis on how we can know where we stand and how we can have something solid to depend upon. You remember Daniel chapter 5, we have Belshazzar throwing this feast. Remember him? Throwing this feast, had, had all of the uh, vessels from the temple, and he's having a good old time just ignoring God and thumbing his nose at God. And all of a sudden, here comes that hand on the wall and begins to write on the wall. Basically told him, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You know what the Bible says? I'm going to read this for you verbatim. Verse 6, Daniel 5. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. What happened? He refused to measure up. I'm not going to listen to God. I don't have anything. I don't have anything to do with him. And he ignored God, ignored God. And finally, it was measuring day. The Bible says he was weighed in the balances and found wanting. He realized it was a debt that he could not pay. Now, folks, understand this tonight. We're living in desperate times. But we don't have to be desperate people. Why? Because our God has given us something definite. But we as his people must submit to it. The law entered that the offense might abound. Several years ago, we were on vacation with a good friend of ours. I won't call his name. And uh, you know you can charge stuff to your room. That's very dangerous, but you can do that. Just charge it to your room. Charge a hamburger to your room. Charge souvenirs to your room. And I kept careful track of it because my wife got a ding on her phone every time I would use the debit card. Well, my friend did not keep good track of it. 
and we went to pay our bills at the same time. We go down and we're standing in line and they printed off mine. It was about $220 and they printed off his and it was $2,200. He says, I'll trade you. I said, not on your life. Can I tell you why his bill was so high? He didn't check up. He just kept spending by his desires and he never checked up, never checked up. But finally he had to settle his bill. And he settled his bill with someone who was keeping up. And they were keeping very good track of it. And do you know we're going to stand before the God of heaven? Every one of us. And we're going to settle our bill. And folks, it's best that right now we submit to the standard of God's word right now. And settle up. My wife, thank God for her. If she hadn't checked that thing every night, she checked it every night. And she's sitting there. She gets this joy over balancing the checkbook. I don't get it. She just gets this. If it's five cents off, she just, oh, she doesn't sleep well. I'm like, look, get it within $30, $40, we're good. And she's like, no, I got to get it right. And oh, she's had this big smile on her face. She doesn't have to say it. I said, why are you smiling? I said, the checkbook balanced. She checked it every night. And oh, when it came time to pay, it wasn't too bad. But oh, for my friend, it was. Why? Because he didn't keep up to the standard of what God had presented. So notice verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But watch closely, I'll give you the good news. I want to show you what happens when you do, and this is what I want to get to tonight. The Bible says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now here's what I love about verse number 20. The Bible says, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. The Bible says that sin abounded. We see what sin did. Sin left us without strength. Sin left us enemies of God. Sin left us condemned. Sin left us desperate. But notice, the Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Grace did much more abound. Notice in our desperate situation, God gave us the third thing. And this is what I want to hit on before we close. He gave us a solution that's definite. And I'm going to tie this back into the world we're living in right now. Romans chapter 5 shows us the most desperate time of our lives. We were enemies to God. We were condemned. There's nothing that we're going through right now that is more desperate than that. All right? But notice what God did in the midst of our most desperate time. He gave a solution to us that was definite. And that solution, notice what he says, was grace. Can I tell you the difference in a desperate life, in a definite life, is grace. Can I tell you what will help you go from living in a desperate situation right now to living solidly and certainly in a definite posture before God? It's grace. It's grace. It was grace that God gave us when sin abounded. And oh, is sin abounding right now? Sin seems to be taking our country like a tidal wave. But notice what it says. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Listen, it's easy to be shaken by what's going on in our world. I understand that. And you see sin abounding, but understand, notice, I love this part. The Bible says where sin did, stop there. Where sin abounded, the Bible says grace did much more. I tell you, sin's doing a lot right now. Sin's doing a lot. It's going in our homes. I mean, it's in our hearts. It's crossing our country. It's in our churches. Sin's doing a lot. But notice, no matter what sin does, the Bible says grace did much 
more. There's a very important word I want you to see. It's right after the word abound. It's the word but. Brother Michael, I did some English today. I didn't like it, but I did. I went back and did some English research. I found that word but is a coordinating conjunction. Am I correct, English people? Shake your head, yeah? I hope so. That's what Google said. Here's what a coordinating conjunction does. Listen closely. It specifically indicates an exception. Did you hear me? A coordinating conjunction specifically indicates an exception. The Bible says where sin abounded, uh, offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God gave us an exception. God gave us an exception from the tidal wave that's coming in, and that exception is grace. Listen, aren't you glad? Because of the grace of God, you are out of the reach, if you're saved tonight, from the overwhelming effects of sin. And right now we're living in a desperate situation and we have a tendency to be desperate. But no, we should be definite. Why? Because of grace. Ezra chapter number nine. I love this verse. I have preached out of this verse many times. The Bible says, and now for a little space, grace hath been showed. Ezra had gone back to destruction and calamity to rebuild the temple. In the midst of all of that, what did God give them? He gave them a space of grace. A space of grace. You know, right now we're living in a desperate time, but we can live in a definite time. Why? Because of grace. By the grace of God, as we preach Sunday, we can look forward. Why? By grace. I saw a beautiful picture in the Word of God today I never really thought about. Exodus chapter, uh, uh, well, I can't remember the chapter. Exodus, when they exited Egypt. And they're going through the Red Sea, and the Bible says that the sea stood up on this side and on that side. And as they walked through, listen to this now. On the left side was the ocean. On the right side was the ocean. And the ocean was standing poised. And they were in the midst of calamity, were they not? They were standing there in the midst of calamity. And yet the Bible says they walked across on dry land. Do you know what that space was they were walking in? That was grace. That was grace. Calamity on the right, calamity on the left. But watch this. The Red Sea stood at attention. Why? Because of that bubble of grace they were walking in. Do you know what Daniel was sleeping in in the lion's den? You can't see it, but it's there. He was sleeping in a bubble of grace. The king had done his worst, and yet there was grace. Folks, understand tonight, Romans 5, we were in a desperate situation. And yet God gave us a definite answer. And what was it? The Bible says grace did much more abound. Now understand this and I'm going to be done. We don't have to live desperately. We can live definitely. Why? Because Romans 5, there was a time we were worse off than we are now. And we were desperate. And yet because of grace, because of grace, God gave us something solid. And God gave us something sure. But here's what I'm going to close with. Romans 6.1, what does the Bible say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. You see, that bubble of grace, you can step out of it. All right, you're saved. You can never lose that. But you can step out of that bubble of grace to go and do what you want to do and understand once you step out of that bubble of grace, you're on your own. Grace is sufficient, but as we continue in sin, how can we expect grace to abound? Right now, we're living in desperate times, and we need a definite answer, and that definite answer is grace. Grace is sufficient for the time that we're living in. 
but you step out of that bubble of grace and you'll find yourself once again in desperation. Folks, listen, if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, God has given us something definite. He says, my grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for whatever you're going through. It's sufficient for whatever you're fighting. If you're lost, it's sufficient for your sin. I assure you, grace is sufficient. It's definite. And tonight, you get to choose, if you're lost, listen, to, and to go from being desperate to being definite. Why? Because of grace, not because of us. And yet tonight, how many of us are saved and we know that heaven's our home? We know if we died right now, we're on our way to heaven, and yet we're living outside that bubble of grace. You know what's going to happen? Just like David, a man after God's own heart, you're going to find yourself overwhelmed. You're going to find that water getting up here, and you're drowning. Why? Because you stepped outside of that definite space of grace that God gave us to handle any circumstance we're going through. He says, you know, remember back in Romans 5 how desperate you were, and yet I provided you a way through grace. And I want you to know that same grace is available today. Not only to save the lost, but that same grace is available to convey the saved through the waters right now that we're having to tread. What a testimony it would be tonight if God's people would be people that are living definite lives instead of desperate lives. If God's people were living by their prudence instead of living by panic, if God's people were encouraged by their faith, uh, rather than living a life of fear. So how do I have something definite? By grace. We don't have it of ourselves. Just as we didn't have it of ourselves in Romans 5. But we can through his grace. You know, Ephesians 2, the Bible says, for by grace are you what? Saved. Now listen, I believe that only applies just to being saved. It's me for by grace are we saved through all the stuff we're going through right now. It's only going to be by grace. And that is space of grace is available tonight. But you've got to decide where you want to stand. You want to stand desperate tonight, you can stand there. Or you can decide by the grace of God. I'm going to climb in that bubble. And I'm going to make it through this and leave a testimony of the God that I serve. Tonight let's have our heads bowed for a few minutes. Eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.